0: We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and tithes and offerings. And this week I got a picture uh, that Ron G. Abraham's son, sent me and it was his daddy. Uh, they were doing just a meeting, just invited a bunch of people to, said, hey, come here about Jesus. And 20,000 people showed up. So that's pretty cool, I think. And uh, lots of people made decisions to follow Jesus. So uh, because of your support and generosity, we're able to be a part of what it is that God's doing through Abraham and through Christ for India. So thank you so much for that. And God, this morning as we give back to you, uh, we're so grateful that you first gave to us. You're the one who is our provider of all things. In Jesus, this morning, we specifically think of Abraham and Ranji and Joyce, God. And Lord, we just pray that you continue to pour out your blessing on that family. Thank you for the obedience that they have demonstrated throughout their over 40 years of ministry. In Jesus, we pray now that there would be an increase of people, uh, Lord, that are, are being fed physically, that are being fed spiritually, people finding hope and putting their faith in you for their salvation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're new here today, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. There's a lot of things you could have done, but you chose to be here, and we're so grateful for that. I just want to let you know in the front of the the seat, right in front of you, there's a little communication card. We'd love to have you fill it out and turn it in at the information table on your way out. We have a free Radiant t-shirt for you as a way of saying thanks so much for being here. And then this week, I'll shoot you an email just welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. Then also today we have our Next Steps Belong class. If you want to know more about Radiant Church, our vision, values, beliefs, what our heartbeat's all about, then 15 minutes after service lets out, uh, we're just going to meet right in here, and it's about a half hour of me just sharing the vision for Radiant Church. you have a time to ask me some questions, play Stump the Past through a Bible Trivia, whatever it is that you want to do. But it's real quick and formal and a great way to get to know more about this Radiant family and see if this is the church home that you want to be a part of. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3. We're continuing our series, uh, Luke, investigating Jesus. And the whole idea behind this is we want to know who Jesus is because there's a lot of ideas about who Jesus is, a lot of beliefs that we might have about who he is. But who is he really? Uh, I remember when I got my wisdom teeth out, which was a real fun experience for me uh, because they had to knock me all the way out because I have a history of waking up during surgeries and procedures and stuff like that. So they find that out and they just knock you out. And so I remember I'm waking up, I'm in the little recovery room, and there's this song playing on the radio. And I never heard this song before in my life. Have you ever heard a song where there's something magical that happens? You think, this is my soul song. I don't know if there is such a thing as a soul song, but this is my soul song. This connects to me in a deeply spiritual way where has this song been my entire life. So I kept getting up, and I was dancing and singing along with the song in the recovery room, which I don't dance or sing, but hey... When you're stoned, you do some stuff. And so like the nurses are, no, no, Mr. Brown, you have to sit down. You, you, can't, you can't get up. You have to stay sitting down. And, and I wouldn't do it because the song was just moving me so much. I just kept getting up and singing and dancing with it. And they brought my wife back. They're like, We can't control your husband. We need you to come back <laughs> and to help us out. And so she comes back there, and she's trying to contain me. But I just keep getting up. Well, after a while, I start to come to a little bit more. And I realized that this song that I've been just loving and, and thinking is the greatest song in the world I've been dancing to is really the pulse ox machine going beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and I'm just like, what a fool I am. And it was so funny because I was working at Radiant Church in Kalamazoo and uh, so I was up there on stage every week and the receptionist also went to Radiant Church until that encounter and then she n- I never saw her there again because I made such a fool of myself. But anyways, the point of that is you can think something and have it be completely not what you think it is. Sometimes we think Jesus is the pulse machine that we're just singing and dancing around to. We think it's this beautiful song, but we have no idea about what it really is. And so we have to go through the Bible and we look at this book of Luke to say, do I really know who Jesus is? Do I really know his heart and his character? Do I really understand his teachings and what it is that he's called me to do and what he's called me to be? Or am I just dancing along to the pulse ox machine? So we're spending a lot of time going through this. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it begins with this It says, It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and uh, Trachonitis. Licinius was ruler over Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. So did any of you get anything out of that? No, you didn't. And you're not supposed to really, because what it's doing is it's going through and it's listing who the rulers are at this time. And any time in the Greco-Roman world, they would do these biographies, which is what this is. It's a biography of the life of Jesus. And they would always do this as a way so you can understand the time that it happens. It's like writing down the year or the date that you're writing it. So because of this information, we're able to pinpoint this to a nine-month period of time that, where the story that we're about to read about occurs. But here's another thing that I find interesting about this list. The people who were living at this time, they knew who all of these rulers were. Most of them were really, really bad rulers. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Tiberius because you watch Gladiator with Russell Crowe or something like that. But outside of cinema, you probably haven't heard of any of these people. But these people, they lived and they died with fear of who the rulers were. They lived and died with hope of who the new ruler might be. But now, 2,000 years later, it completely doesn't affect any of us. But you know who we do know about? It's Jesus. And I think this speaks something to us, because we can get so caught up in the names of that are listed of the people who are rulers in our time. And we can live with so much fear inside of our hearts over the people that are the rulers or we can live with so much hope over what the next ruler might be over us. But when we read the life of Jesus, these people are all footnotes. They're all a part of the story of Jesus. But Jesus is the one who continues on. Jesus is the king who reigns and rules over all things. So why don't I get too scared about politics or too hopeful about them? It's because I'm much more concerned about the reign and the rule of Jesus, the one who will last forever, and he's the one that we continue to come to. We pray for those who are over us. Use every opportunity that you have as a civil servant inside of this great society that we live in, but our hope is always in Jesus, and we never fear those who are over us. So that was for free. That wasn't really a part of my message. But here's the other thing. Is now, because we know the time period that this story is occurring at, we can go back and say that the last time that we heard about John was about 30 years ago. We started out this book in Luke and was talking about John. Remember, the angel appears to his father and says that you're going to have a son and this son is going to be unlike anyone else. It says that he's going to be someone who the Holy Spirit is upon from the womb. Think about that. Before John ever came and took his first breath, the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's incredible. When you think about it, it says also that he's going to cause many people to turn to God. It says that the spirit of Elijah is going to be on them. The spirit and the power of Elijah is going to be on this son, John. Now, if you don't know who Elijah was, he was one of the greatest prophets and he did some crazy things. You might remember the contest that he had with the prophets of Baal. We said, hey, let's see who God really is. Let's see if it's God or let's see if it's Baal. So let's have a contest. So they, they get some bulls and they build some altars and they say, we're going to ask our gods to send fire. And whichever God sends fire to consume the offering, that's who the real God is. So the, uh, the prophets of Baal, they're all like, Baal, come and do this. And they're doing this all morning. And Elijah's sitting there making fun of them. He's like, yeah, maybe your God's using the bathroom. Maybe you need to call louder. He actually says that. Your God is using the bathroom. The Bible's full of really funny things if you really catch it. And so then he's making fun of them, and they're going crazy. He's like, okay, it's my turn now. Let me show you what my God can do. He says, I want you to get water, dump it all over everything. They dump insane amounts of water over everything. And he just stands back, and he's like, hey, God, let's, let's show yourself here. Fire just falls down and consumes everything. The spirit and the power of Elijah, that's pretty bold right there, and that's pretty miraculous. There was a drought that was going on in Israel, and he prayed, and it stopped. While the drought's going on, ravens are bringing him meat to eat. This is a pretty incredible thing to say. The spirit and the power of Elijah is on someone. That's about as big of a deal as it can possibly be. He even raised a kid from the dead once. I've never done that. Haven't tried, but uh, I'm not sure I could do that. But that's what Elijah does. And he also says that he's going to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. This is the life of John. All of these things, all this miraculous power is going to be on him because he's going to be someone who prepares an entire nation to turn their hearts towards God. And those are pretty high expectations to set on anyone. That's a pretty miraculous baby that we see being born. So what's John been doing for these last 30 years since we heard about this prophecy of him? It continues in Luke 3.2 and it says, At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. He's living in the wilderness. And back then, it wasn't the small house movement of I'm trying to reconnect to the roots and make a simple life. He was living in the wilderness, and that's where nobody wants to be. This is where bandits live. this is where the outcasts of society live. this is where all those who were just absolutely impoverished lived, was they went out and they lived in the wilderness. And John's even worse than most people. It says that he wears camel fur uh, for his clothing. Now, camels are not one of the finer leathers that you wear. And uh, this is what he's wearing. It's probably what happens as he walks around, he doesn't have clothes, he sees a dead camel, he's like, hey, I've got an idea. And that's why he wears camel fur. And it says that he eats locusts. He doesn't have good food to eat. You have to be pretty hungry when you look at a locust and you think, mm, I'm going to put on my finest camel furs so I'm going to have a locust feast. But it's showing that he is poor. He is nobody. This is not lining up with the expectations that people might have had from him. Imagine you're the father and some of you have, you know, a 30-year-old that's living at home or in the basement or in the wilderness, you might relate to this somewhat. It's like, hey, you know what? This didn't quite turn out how I thought it would be. You were supposed to be a NASA astronaut And you're living in the wilderness, eating locusts. Everybody else is probably looking at him and saying, what a failure. Or maybe your father, Zechariah, we knew that he wasn't, like, he's not honest. He was making all this stuff up. We all think our kids are great and they're going to do incredible things. Zechariah got carried away with the angelic visitation thing. But regardless, I mean, John knows this about himself, too. John knows the story of when his dad and his mom must have told him, an angel appeared to me and said all of these things about you that you're going to be greatly used by God to turn a nation towards him. The spirit and the power of Elijah is going to be upon you. You're going to prepare the way for God. And then he sees his life and how it's turning out. And 30 years later, after he's born instead of living up to the expectations that everyone else might have had for him instead of living up to the expectations that he might have had for himself he's out there living in the wilderness not doing any of the things that he thought that he was going to do not seeing god do any of the miraculous things in his life that he thought god was going to be doing and the question that i have for you is can you relate to this in any way Can you relate to what it's like to live in the wilderness? where you felt like there was some plan and some purpose for your life. Other people believed in you and they told you all these great things. Maybe you even had this moment where God spoke to you and you knew that God put some burning desire on your heart or there was some, maybe it was even a dream or a vision, a prophetic word that someone gave you, just something that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know that you know that this is God and he's called you into this thing, but you just don't see it happening. That's living in the wilderness. And that's a really tough place for us to be. And what I want you to know is that if you find yourself in that place, somewhere between hearing a word from God and seeing the fulfillment of it, you're stuck in that middle area, you're living in the wilderness, what I want you to know is that everyone goes through the wilderness. Every person that we read about in the Bible, none of them just go from God says this and now you're walking into the fullness of it. It's always God speaks something and then you go into the wilderness. Think of Abraham, the father of our faith. God promised, I'm going to make you the father of nations. I'm going to make you abundantly rich so that you can bless other people. And then what does he have to do? It says, now go, leave everything that you know and just go out into the wilderness. I'm not even going to tell you where I'm taking you. Just start walking. Start walking away from all of the goodness that you have. Abraham was already, he had a good life. He was from a powerful family. God says, I'm going to make you more powerful, so walk away from all of it says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He's 75 years old and doesn't even have one son. Joseph, God gives him the dream as a 17-year-old kid. You all remember him and his coat of many colors? God gives him vision. He gives him a dream. He gives him a couple of dreams, actually. Shows him a prophetic vision of his future and where it is that God's going to take him. But then instead of walking into this position of where he's reigning, he's ruling over people and over nations... His family, his brothers, they throw him in, they try to kill him first. Their plan is to kill him. That's not a good start. And then they throw him in a pit, and then they sell him off as a slave into Egypt. I guess you're not dead, so it's a little bit better. And then he's in Egypt. He's serving faithfully as a slave in Potiphar's house. He's wrongly accused of sexually assaulting Potiphar's wife, so then he goes to the jail. And he's sitting there for 17 years. He's got a bad wilderness. Look at uh, Moses himself. God chose him to lead a nation. He chose him to be the one that would be the military mind behind Israel. He chose him to be the one who would lead his people out of bondage in the slavery of Egypt. And he makes sense because he's growing up. He's miraculously rescued. You know, you remember the story about his mom putting him in in a little raft or whatever it was and putting him down the river, which is a terrible idea. Never, ever do that to a baby unless you're Moses' mom. And then it works out, but puts them in there and you think, wow, God miraculously spared him, puts them into Pharaoh's house. God, I see your plan. Like, I'm tracking with you. This makes sense. You put them there so we can get the training, the wealth of Egypt. You're going to make him ready to go and to lead your people, right? Well, then what happens is he goes out into the wilderness. After the age of 40, he tries to free his people, kills an Egyptian, and then they're all trying to kill him. So he runs away and he lives and he becomes a shepherd. Shepherds are not people that you're looking at to lead you out of Egypt. But he goes from the promise that God's made him of what he's going to do and what his life is going to be to looking like it's a pretty good setup for it to going and spending 40 years living in the wilderness as a shepherd. The nation of Israel himself, when they are finally delivered out of Egypt and they're going, you think, all right, God, you've, you've called them to be a people. that are going to bless all nations. You've called them to this incredible promised land. I can see what's going to happen. You're doing it, Jesus. And then what does he do is he takes them to 40 years In the wilderness. It's a two week trip from Egypt to Israel if you're walking on foot like that. And it took them 40 years to get there. Because before they could walk into that promise, they first had to go out into the wilderness. Think of King David, one of my absolute favorite characters in all of the Bible. We all loved him because we saw him on a felt board killing Goliath when he was a little kid. But he grew up in the wilderness. It wasn't that he had to go to the wilderness at some point, he started his life in the wilderness. His dad didn't want him around, sent him out there to watch the sheep. And then he becomes the anointed next king over Israel. You think, all right, God, you're going to do something amazing here. And then he goes back into the wilderness again. And then he comes and he lives in the palace and then Saul tries to kill him. So it's back to the wilderness. He comes back, he becomes king, and then his own family tries to kill him. So it's back to the wilderness. Again and again through the life of David, we see these wilderness seasons that are going on. When we look at Paul... The miraculous encounter that he has with God on the road to Damascus. There's the blinding light. God reveals himself to Paul and says, I've called you to preach my gospel to all nations. Calls him to be an apostle. He's going to plant churches. He's going to do incredible things. So what happens then? You'd think he'd go out there and start planting churches, but no, instead he goes and he lives 12 years in obscurity, not doing what it was that God had said that he was going to do. Even Jesus himself, Think about this. Jesus goes, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The miraculous power of God comes over him to be able to go out and to do the things that God created him and sent him to earth to do. And the first thing that happens after that is it says the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. You see a theme going on here. If you find yourself in the wilderness, it's not you. It's all of us. It's something that every single one of us has to go through. And it's something that God even will lead you into. There's no shortcuts around it. You have to go through the wilderness seasons. And why is it that that happens? It's because the wilderness is preparation for what God is leading you into. John wasn't born ready to do all of the things that the angel said he was going to do with his life. He just wasn't ready to do that. And none of us are born ready to do what it is that God's called us to do. Even when God speaks to you and tells you why he's put you on this earth or gives you an idea for something he's calling you to do, even at that point, you aren't ready. And that's why with Abraham, God said, I'm going to do all these miraculous things for you. I'm going to make you very rich, but before I can make you rich, I have to teach you to trust me to be your provider when you're out in the wilderness away from your family and your dad who's been providing for you your whole life. Before you can believe me to make you the father of nations, you have to believe that I can give you just one son. God had to take Abraham through the wilderness season to prepare him and to change his heart and his mind so that he could do the things that God had called him to do. We look at the story of Joseph. When he has the dream of other people bowing down before him, he's just a 17 year old cocky punk, quite honestly. And he's going around and he's bragging to his brothers and to his father that I'm going to rule over all of you someday. Now, do you guys want a ruler over you who's going to brag about it the whole time? No. We hate people like that. And so what God has to do is he has to teach Joseph the humility that's going to be required for him to be able to be the one who is second in command over all of Egypt. Don't put a 17-year-old in charge of a country. It will not go well for you. But God had a process that he was going to take Joseph through so that he could do that. Moses, God had to teach him humility too. After 40 years of living in the royal family, having the best of the best of everything in this world, and thinking that he could save the people himself, God had to teach him that he wasn't that important. He had to take him out into the desert to teach him that it wasn't going to be by his own might, it wasn't going to be by his power or by his ideas that he was going to be able to lead the people into freedom. Look at the nation of Israel. They spent 40 years in the desert because God had to get Egypt and the slave mentality out of them. You think that if you're living as a slave in Egypt and all of a sudden God frees you and now he's going to take you to a promised land where you're going to be able to have the choice of everything in the world? That's a good thing. But three days into their camping trip, they're already saying, let's go back and be slaves in Egypt again. Life was better that way. It took 40 years to break them of all of those things and to get Egypt out of them so that they could be the nation that was going to be the light to the whole world and that would bless all other people. With David, He was out there in the wilderness because before he could kill a giant, he had to learn the courage to take on a bear. Before he could fight Goliath, he had to be able to fight a lion. You don't just go and fight a giant on your first day. Before he could rule a nation, he had to be faithful with ruling a flock of sheep. Think about that. Maybe you think, God's called me to this great thing. All of these other things are below me. I can't do that because God's called me to something more. No. Before you can do the great things God's called you to, you have to do some really menial and really trivial-seeming things. And God says, don't despise the day of the small beginning because he who is faithful with little will be given much. But God always starts you out with a little bit to see how your heart really is. And you'll go through your season of preparation. He's going to prepare you for what it is that he's called you into. Even Jesus, think about this, even Jesus wasn't born ready to do everything that he came here to do. In Luke chapter 2, it says that he grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and with men. That there was a growing process for Jesus. In fact, what Jesus had to learn in his wilderness season was obedience. It says in Hebrews 5.8, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. Now, does that mean that he was ever disobedient? No. Jesus was sinless. He was never disobedient. But what it means to learn obedience is that he had to go through a season of testing now to see if he really would be obedient. Now, if you don't struggle with greed and someone gives you millions of dollars, it's not going to be a big deal for you. You'll be faithful with it. You'll be obedient with what God's called you to do with it because it's not a temptation for you. But if that is a a struggle for you, and then God gives you the money, well, now it's going to test your obedience. It's easy to say, well, you know, if I was the president, I wouldn't do this and that. Well, I've never been had to be put in that situation of where I have to be of high moral character and standards and ethics like that. So Jesus has to go through a season of where he's tested so that he learns obedience. His obedience to God is tested when he's out in the wilderness, when he's in the desert, He grows in his character. He proves his faithfulness, and he's prepared. When he's in the desert, what happens is he's tested a little bit, but before he can go to the cross, he has to be able to go through a little bit of testing before he hits that big testing that he faces in the cross. All of us have to go through that. A big part of our preparation is learning obedience. God will never promote those who aren't obedient, and he will remove those who are disobedient. It's the way that God works. But here's what you need to know, is that God will lead you out of the wilderness at the right time. When you're in that wilderness season, and maybe it's been going on for a year, maybe it's been two years, five years, maybe it's been decades. Maybe it's been 30 years like it was for John. Maybe it's going to be 40 years like it was for the nation of Israel or for Moses. But the good news is, is that God is going to be the one who leads you out of that wilderness season. Abraham, Abraham, He ended up getting his son. It took a long time, but he walked into what it was that God had for him. God promoted Joseph from a prison. Joseph, as he's evaluating his life and thinking back to the dreams that God gave him, he's probably saying, I have made some huge mistakes. This might not happen for me. But he didn't see how God was working through this wilderness season for him. And he didn't know that he was going to go from being in the prison to being second command over Egypt in an instant. It wasn't the plan that Joseph had. It was more miraculous. It was more incredible than anything that Joseph could ever have imagined for himself. It was the way that God worked it. When you look at uh, Moses, he eventually delivered a nation. When you look at David, he eventually did all of the things that God called him to do. Uh, Paul, he ended up doing his missionary trips and planning churches and working as an apostle. He did all of these things. God is always so faithful to deliver us and to take us into the fullness of what he's called us to do. But it's never going to happen in the way that we think it's going to happen. It has never once happened that way for me. It's never once happened that way for any person. But what we do is we make our plan and we compare ourselves or where are we on the timeline of it? I'm falling behind or I'm way ahead, I'm doing well. It happened this way for someone else so this is how it's going to happen for me. We can't compare ourselves to how it was that God did something in someone else's life because we don't have the call that anybody else has. There's an individual thing that God's called all of us to do and there's an individual way that God's going to work that out in every single one of our lives. What we have to do is to just embrace this wilderness season that we're going through and trust that God is faithful, that he is good, and that he is going to do everything that he said that he was going to do inside of our lives. And understand that this time when you're in the wilderness, it might be easy to get discouraged, it might be easy for you to give up or to lose hope, but this is the season of preparation that God has for you so that he can lead you into the fullness of what it is that he's put upon your heart. So how do you survive the wilderness season? is number one, understand that it is a vital part of the process. You just can't go from from God speaking to you to walking into the promise. There's always a process that you have to go through. Every person we've been talking about in the Bible, it's that way for every single one of their lives. And if you don't go through it, if you're just instantly promoted to it, it's all going to crumble underneath you because you're just not ready for it. Understand that being in the wilderness doesn't mean that you're being punished by God. Understand that being in the wilderness doesn't mean that you've made a mistake, that you've taken a wrong turn, that you haven't been faithful, that you weren't good enough. It doesn't mean that you didn't hear from God. It just means that now God is shaping your heart. He's preparing your character. He's testing your obedience so that you're ready to be promoted into what it is that he has for you. So the second thing you need to do to survive the wilderness is embrace what God is doing in you. Just embrace it. Don't fight it. Don't despise what it is that God's doing in your heart. Don't feel bad about it. You know your character flaws. If you don't, ask your spouse. If you don't have your spouse, ask your mother. But there's someone in your life that can tell you every single character flaw that you have, probably better than you. you might not want to hear all of it. Uh, don't have them write it down and refer to it. But, wait, you're messed up. And I'm messed up too. That's the way that we were born. We were born messed up, broken people, but God is so good that he comes and he takes us through a process of mending our hearts, of rebuilding our lives, and preparing us to do the world-changing, history-making things that God's called us to do. He's called us to be people who bless other people, but when we start out, we're so broken that we just need to be blessed. We don't have anything to give anyone else. We can't stand there and say, be a testament of God's faithfulness because we haven't seen it yet. So, what God does is He takes you through the process, and you, instead of despising it, just be like, man, I just want to get to my destiny of where God's called me to. I'm sick of all of this. Embrace what it is that God's doing you in this time and in this season. You'll get out of the wilderness a whole lot faster if you partner with God and what it is that he's doing in your heart instead of resisting it, fighting it, or trying to get away from it. If you're struggling with pride and God's working with your heart about pride, embrace it. Don't try to fight it. God knows that you can't pretend like, God, I'm not proud, I'm better than everybody else. God knows if you're struggling with lust. God knows if you're struggling with being judgmental jerk or whatever it is that's in your life or if you don't have faith, if you're not strong, if you cave in easy. God knows all of these character flaws that you have and he doesn't despise you for them so don't despise yourself for it either. Be open and honest and say, God, this is an area of my life that I can tell that you're trying to work on and it really hurts and it really makes me uncomfortable and I'm not a fan of how it makes me look in front of everybody else. But God Just do the work. It's like going to get a root canal. You're never like, oh, I'm so happy I get a root canal. And you don't try to fight the dent. No, get the drill away. And you're not fighting them. It's like, just do it. Just get it over with. Get it done with. Make me better. And that's what we have to do. Embrace what it is that God's doing in your life in this wilderness season. Don't let it think that you're less. Don't make it think that other people are more. Don't make it think that that you're just so unqualified to do it, you never can. Well, yeah, you are unqualified, but Jesus is in you and he's preeminently qualified and he's working something miraculous inside of your heart. And then number three, remain faithful. It's hard. Waiting is the hardest part. And it was either a philosopher, a musician, or a church father that said that. I don't remember which. But it's really hard when you have the vision for what it is that God's called you to, and you're just going through the grind every day, and you're waiting. And it's not today. Maybe it's tomorrow. You wake up, and it's not that day. And it's been years, and it's been years. And it can be really easy to give up, to lose hope. It can be really easy to walk away from what it is that God's called you to do. It can be really easy to walk away from God Himself because you feel like He's let you down or He hasn't met up to the expectation that you had for Him. But remain faithful in that. Maybe God's called you to do something really, really incredible. But right now, you're cleaning toilets and you've been trying to preach to the toilets, but they're just not receiving from you. You know what? Clean those toilets to the best of your ability for the glory of God and embrace what it is that he's doing in your heart in that season. It can be so easy to just look to the future all the time that we completely miss out on the present. We can look so much to the future of what God wants to do us, of how awesome our future is going to be, and we begin to despise the place that we're at right now or we get mad at God, or we feel abandoned by God, we feel neglected by God as we're going through that desert, that wilderness season. Remain faithful. You don't know the day of your promotion. You don't know the day that he's going to lead you out of that wilderness into the place that he's called you to. Moses didn't know. Joseph didn't know. David didn't know. Nobody's ever known except God. But his plan is perfect. We just have to remain faithful to it. And then number four, hold fast to the promise. In 1 Timothy 18, 1, 18 through 19, it says this. As Paul's writing to Timothy, who's someone that has an incredible call in his life, and he's become, uh, Paul's his mentor, and he's raising him up, and he's training him for everything that he's going to do. And Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. What Paul is saying is that there were prophetic words that were spoken over you about what it was that God was going to do in you. You need to hold on to those. There were times when God spoke to you something, he made it so real in your heart that you knew that you knew that you knew that it was God speaking to you. You need to hold on to that. Don't ever forget about it. Keep coming back to that. Write that down. This is what I do. Every time I get a prophetic word that really has gotten, there's a lot of prophets out there that are pretty crazy. Uh, so that's why we test. When someone gives you a prophetic word, you don't just take it, you test it, it says, to make sure that this is really something that's from God and not just from some crazy person. Uh, sometimes I tell people when they say, hey, I have a prophetic word, and I can tell they're crazy. I'm like, sorry, we're a non-profit organization. Uh, but <laughs> that was cheesy, but I worked on that one. Sorry, it failed. Man. But there are prophetic words that God's spoken to you. And that's why prophecy is such a beautiful gift that Paul says that we should desire above all of the other gifts. Because we need to hear from God. We need to know what it is that he's spoken to us. We don't just need our plans. We don't just need ideas from others. We need to know what it is that God has spoken to us, what it is that God's calling us to. And then we, we just put our nose to the grindstone and we just put our faith and trust in God and believe that he's going to take us into that and say, God, I don't know how you're going to take me there, but you're going to do it. God, I don't know how you could possibly use me in this way, but I believe that you're going to do it because this is what you've called me to. When I was an infant, how I got here, kind of really briefly, is when I was an infant, someone prophesied, give a prophetic word over me to my parents and said that God had chosen me and set me apart for this ministry. And then when I was 14 years old, God spoke to me. And he called me, and I heard his voice, more real than I've ever heard anything in my entire life, of God spoke to me and calling me to pastor a church. And I had no idea what that looked like. I had no idea how it was that I was going to do that. But I just knew where it was that God had called me. Went to school. Went to college. Tried to be a rock star. Did a lot of things. There was a lot of times where it looked like there was, like, God, you picked the wrong person. God, I heard the wrong thing. But I just kept coming back and saying, I know that I heard this, God. I know that this is the word that you spoke over me. And it's not because of me or anything that I'm doing. It's because this is what you created me to do. And so, God, I'm going to believe that you're going to lead me into that. So I remember when I, got, when I finally decided, okay, I'm going to go work for a church finally. God, I'll do that. And I worked for a church, and I served as faithfully and as hard as I could, and I got fired. and I decided I was going to hold on to that word that God spoke over me. And I worked hard and served again and got fired again. And I could have said, clearly I am not cut out for this line. Clearly this isn't for me. I could have been really discouraged. I could have given up on it. But I said, God, my faith, my hope, my trust is in you. I'm going to hold on to what it is that you spoke to me. I'm holding on to this prophetic word, this thing that I heard you speak to me when I was 14. I'm going to remember what it was that you spoke to my parents when I was just an infant. I'm going to keep pressing in, and I'm going to keep pressing on. So even though I was 14 years old when I made that decision, I was on my 31st birthday when we moved here to plant Radiant Church Ann Arbor. It was a lot longer than I wanted it to be. I had a lot of opportunities to quit, a lot of opportunities to give up in that wilderness season. But I chose to remain faithful. I chose to hold fast to what it was that God spoke to me, to not become bitter, not to give up, The only reason that I'm here today doing what I'm doing is because of God's choosing and because I didn't give up. That was my role in all of this. I was obedient. And we're still not where God's called us to be. This is an awesome start. But what God's called us to do as Radiant Church is a lot more than what we see right now. And I don't know how God's going to get us there, and I don't know when God's going to get us there, but I know that he is. We just remain faithful. We remain obedient. And we choose to never give up. You guys stand with me this morning. Let's just, let's just take Let's just close our eyes just to get rid of every other distraction. Just really put us in a place of where we can hear from God. I should be real honest And ask God, God, am I in a wilderness season? Maybe you've never thought about it that way before. You haven't had that kind of terminology. But now, hopefully, you understand a little bit of what it is. And if you're in that wilderness season, I want you to ask God another question. Say, God, how am I doing? Here's what I know from personal experience. That while you're in the wilderness, Satan's going to come and he's going to lie to you. He's going to tell you that you didn't hear from Jesus. He's going to tell you that you're not able to do this. He's going to tell you that you'll never be able to do this. He's going to tell you that you've disqualified yourself. He's going to tell you maybe that God's failed you, that if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. There's all sorts of lies that Satan's going to speak to you right now. And so what I'm asking is, God, would you remove every lie that Satan has been speaking? And Jesus, would you speak clearly to the hearts of every person here? And God, would you reaffirm that call? Jesus, that prophetic word that they might have received, that vision that you might have put inside of their mind mind, that call that they've been going through. God, would you confirm that in every heart here this morning that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what you spoke to us. And God, would you stir up faithfulness in our hearts. God, we're sorry for the times that we maybe tried to to promote ourselves and make it happen on our own. God, we're sorry for the times that we just gave up. We're sorry for the times that we got mad at you. God, we're sorry for the times that we lost faith. And Jesus, would you do something? Would you stir up passion in our hearts once again for what you spoke to us, God? Jesus, I pray that you would stir up passion in our hearts once again for who you are Jesus, some of us, we've been living after other things. We just forgot about you. We just gave up on what you spoke to us. And we've been doing these other things, these other pursuits, this other life that we've been trying to make for ourselves. But God, we're sorry for that. And we want to come after you. We want to return to that vision that you gave us. If that's you this morning, if that's God, and you've wandered away from that vision that he gave you, and you need to return to it, just as a sign before God that that's you, would you just raise your hand with me? Every eye is closed. We're just saying, God, that's me. God, forgive me for that. And God, I'm coming back after you again. Yes, thank you. Thank you for those hands. And this is what God's going to do in you. He's going to stir up faith. He's clarifying that vision in you. There's hope that's welling up inside of you again. There's joy that's coming inside of you again. Because you're seeing it. You're seeing it again, what it is that he's doing. God, we make our plans but it says that you direct our footsteps. God, we're coming back to you this morning. We're coming back to you. We believe you. No matter how long it takes, no matter what we might have to go through to get there, Jesus, we're committed to you. We believe. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.